So I'm going to pick up uh, where I left off last week. We're in a series on the fivefold ministry offices. So we've been talking about five types of spiritual leaders in Messiah's community. There are apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Today we're going to look at the evangelist. So we've been unpacking these offices and looking into them and discovering some things about them that I think are really super interesting. If we want to be a healthy congregation and community, we have to recognize what God is doing in us, who he's calling us to be and to find our place in the body and go to work, go to work for his kingdom, to advance his kingdom. So this is what it's all about. So keep in mind that these five offices have their roots in the Tanakh. You'll see all of those already in the Tanakh when we come into the Renewed Covenant. Basically, those come up to their fullness in terms of how they operate. So um, let's talk about evangelists, and let's go ahead and uh, define them. Ready? Evangelists. Evangelists recruit. They are recruiters. These infectious communicators of the gospel message recruit others to the cause. They call, they call for a personal response to God's redemption in Christ. They also draw believers to engage the wider mission of growing the church. However, evangelists can be so focused on reaching those outside the church that maturing and strengthening those inside get neglected. Does that make sense? They are so outward focused, so passionate about the lost that they'll ignore the saved and that becomes problematic. So again, each of these offices need each other and the balance of the evangelist is to hang out with some of those apostles and pastors so that they don't lose sight of those that are already saved, right? It's in reach and it's outreach. And some of you, I mean, think about it, right? What motivates you? What's your passion? Is it those that are saved that are here that really kind of motivates you? Or is it the lost, those outside the church, right? If it's those outside, then you're, you're more in that profile of an evangelist than you are maybe a pastor. And so that's kind of how you sort those things out, even in your own heart. Um, so let's look at one example in the New Testament of someone who is in the office of the evangelist. Let's look at Philip. In Acts chapter 21, Philip is actually called an evangelist. That's important for us to understand. In fact, note and note well, it says this, that this man, Philip, the evangelist, this man had four virgin daughters who were prophetesses. Is that interesting? He's an evangelist. His daughters, all four, are prophetesses. And we talked about the prophet. What moves the heart of the prophet? The name and fame of God. They're all about God's reputation, God's ways. They want to teach believers God's ways. They want to call people into conformity with God's ways. The evangelist is like, what? That's crazy. I just want to go get new people and tell them about Jesus. So I'm sure he was pretty surprised of ending up being the father of four prophetesses. Maybe God gave him four daughters who were prophetesses to keep him well-rounded as an evangelist. Who knows? I just thought that was interesting. 
Okay, so let's look at how this evangelist works in his calling, because this is kind of a big picture of what evangelists do. So Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 6. Now at this time, while the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint arose on the part of the Hellenistic Jews against the native Hebrews, because their widows were being overlooked in the daily serving of food. So the twelve summoned the congregation of disciples and said, It is not desirable for us to neglect the word of God in order to serve tables. Therefore, brethren, select from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we may put in charge of this task. What task? Serving tables. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. The statement found approval with the whole congregation, so they chose seven men. Among them was Philip. He's one of the seven. It says that he was full of faith and full of the Holy Spirit. And these they brought before the apostles, and after praying, they laid hands on them. To do what? serve tables that's exciting right hey let's go get some tables let's set up some chairs let's do some setup and let's do some breakdown right you know they were actually anointed to do that they were actually commissioned to do that because in the mundane the kingdom advances everything that we do here takes a host of people behind the scenes prepping it, and then actually breaking it down. What we have here in the harvest is the result of everyone who is serving to make everything happen. It's your community. This is your church. And it's a beautiful place because of what you do. And we don't take that for granted. We're grateful for each and every one of you and what you do in this place. So Philip, he's a good man. He has a proven and known track record in his community. He's filled with the Holy Spirit. He's wise, or shall we say, competent. Find competent men. Find find men that that can get the job done. That's how this word wise is being used. However, before Philip actualizes his call to be an evangelist, he serves tables, set up, breakdown, right? Cleans up stuff. Remember Elisha? Elisha says, man, I want to I be mentored by you, Elijah. You know, I want to hang out with you and be mentored by you. I kind of want to do what you do. I just feel like I'm called to this. Elijah says, okay, there's my underwear. Go clean them. <laughs> and by the way, this is how I like my, my pancakes or whatever they would eat back then, right? Yeah, he served Elijah in these mundane tasks. Do you think he's saying, hey, come on, when's my training going to start? Elijah says, that is your training. Now get to work. What do you you think training looks like, right? Reading books and taking tests? That's not training. It's about serving. And in the service of the Lord, your character is formed. And that character transformation that's taking place is what's getting you ready for ministry yeah the lesson here 
is that the path to your office is preceded by character formation, service in your community. Yeah, I serve. I, 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 serve, I signed up and I serve once a month for 30 minutes. I'm serving. Go Broncos. That's good. That's a good starting place. That's a good starting place. Yeah, we have to have a lifestyle of service. Those that are really geared and motivated by serving are the ones that are going to be raised up. It's there that they get their training. Now, what keeps people from their calling? It's rarely their gifting. See, gifting comes by grace. It's given to you by God. Gifting's easy. Hanukkah. It's fun up unwrapping gifts, isn't it? Yeah, unpackage that, look at that gift, learn how it works, play with it, and next thing you know, you're an expert with your gift. Yeah, that's the easy part. It's by grace through faith that you receive gifts from the Holy Spirit. Character formation, that doesn't come by grace, but by hard work, serving, and getting your character tested and formed and shaped. So people usually, usually are held out of their office because of a lack of character and a lack of service, not gifting. God doesn't choose the highly gifted. God's choosing the humble who make themselves available. That's who God chooses. The humble that says, here I am, use me. You know, do I need to do some laundry, cook some food? put some chairs away. Here I am. Use me. It doesn't sound spiritual, but it is. It's part of your training. That's where everyone starts. Jesus came to serve, not to be served. He gave his life as a ransom. He's our model for service. You say, where's the reward? It's in the doing. Really, this, you know, serving each other, there, there's a blessing in that that just makes life worth living. When you see someone who's impacted by your kindness and the smile on their, their faith, face, that does something inside of you that's a beautiful thing, something that money can't buy. Now, the good news is character formation is always possible for anybody and everybody, no matter how young or how old you are. If you're saying, yeah, you know what? I want to be shaped. I want to be formed because I want to be used. That, that's, that's good. We'll, we'll, we'll do that for you. We are specialists in character formation. Reproofs for discipline are the way of life. Okay. Acts 8, 1 through 8. Saul was in hearty agreement with putting him, Stephan, to death. And on that day, a great persecution began against the church in Jerusalem, and they all, I'm sorry, they were all, and that's Philip included, Philip's in this group, they were all scattered through the regions of Judea and Samaria except the apostles. Some devout men buried Stephan and made a loud lamentation over him. But Saul began ravaging the church, entering house after house, and dragging off men and women. He would put them in prison. Therefore, those who had been scattered went about preaching the word. Here's Philip's account. Verse 5, it says this. 
Philip went down to the city of Samaria and began proclaiming Christ to them. Why? He's an evangelist. What do evangelists do? They proclaim Christ. They are the ones that communicate the gospel of Jesus, the good news that Jesus came, died in our place so that we could be forgiven and escape death and receive eternal life. They're all about proclaiming who Jesus is. And this is what he did. He went down there and began to proclaim the Messiah. The prophets are different. They're going to go and teach Torah. The evangelists, they're going to teach about Jesus. They're the ones that present the gospel, who Jesus is. They're all about getting people saved. They're not proclaiming Torah as a way of life, but rather Jesus as the way to life. I've hung around fivefold people. I mean, I, I, I can pick them out and figure out pretty much who they are. But when I hang around some of those that are evangelists, it's like, it's unbelievable. It's like, oh my gosh, everything is Jesus. They don't talk about anything else. They, they, they cut to the chase and they're good at it. They're good at it. I, you know, I, I don't even know if I can tell this story. It's pretty funny. I don't, I, maybe I should, yeah. I, I'm like, okay, so we're at a sporting event. You know, I'm with my evangelist friend. It's like, I can't even enjoy the game, you know. I'm talking about the game, and he's talking to someone about Jesus. I'm thinking, good grief, can we watch the game, you know? But he's going to lead people to Jesus wherever he's at, because that's what evangelists do. That's what motivates them. That's who they are. It's a beautiful gifting that they have. Yeah, so we get up to go to use the men's room. So I'm standing there in the men's room. I'm next to him in the men's room, and someone else steps up next to him, and it's the corner, and the door is the other way. And I'm thinking, no, no way. Don't even go there. How you doing? Guess it's doing pretty good. You know Jesus? I'm thinking, no, he's going to present the gospel. We're standing there at the wall, and it's not the Western Wailing Wall, right? And he did, and he has this guy cornered. The guy can't get out, and he presents the gospel there in the men's room with this guy. I just walked out. That it's, it's too much. It's too much. I love the evangelists, but you know what? There's got to be some boundaries, right? So... So that's what they do, though. They're all about getting people saved and into the kingdom. That's their specialty. That's how God made them. They're about justification, not sanctification. They're about getting people saved. They're going to, rely, they're going to pass people off to, to the other fivefold ministries, as Justin was sharing. You know, he, got, he got handed off a couple times. Different people took him, you know, so far and then handed him off and he went to a new person. Then that person took him to another person. He ends up getting saved and into a church. That's how that works. It takes a team of people. It takes a community to win people, bring them in, get them baptized and discipled. That's what we do. Acts 8, 6. The crowds with one accord were giving attention to what was said by Philip as they heard and saw the signs which he was performing. He's not even an apostle. He, he's one of the seven that are serving tables. And yet he's doing signs and wonders. Why? Jesus said, the works that I do, you will do, and even greater works than these. 
Remember earlier, we were talking about this when they were being persecuted for assuring Jesus in the temple and they were brought in and threatened and persecuted by the, the leaders. This is what they said, if you remember. It says, Now, Lord, take note of their threats and grant your bondservants that they may speak your word with all confidence while you extend your hand to heal and signs and wonders take place through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. That's how that works. Philip just went and proclaimed Christ. And then God was doing signs and wonders to validate what he was sharing. You share Christ, God will do the rest. You just proclaim Christ, love people. Like, like Justin was saying, just be kind, do good deeds, and look for opportunities to share who Jesus is. God will do the signs and wonders. That's what makes this so exciting. Now, I know some of you are saying, man, I just, that's not me. And that's okay. It, you know, for, for those who were called to evangelism, you'll love that. that. That'll work for you. Not everyone's called to be an evangelist. Everyone's called to witness and give testimony, but not everyone's called to be an evangelist. But those that are called to be evangelists, man, we need them. We need you. That's how we're going to help grow this local church like all local churches grow through the spirit and anointing of the evangelists. Acts 8, 7 through 8, it goes on to say this. For in the case of many who had unclean spirits, they were coming out of them shouting with a loud voice. And many who had been paralyzed and lame were healed. So there was much rejoicing in that city. He's out proclaiming Christ. God's doing the rest. People are finding freedom. Demons are coming out of people. They're screaming and screeching, and demons are leaving them. And people are seeing that, and they're recognizing the hand of God in that. You know, those, those evangelists are preaching Jesus. They're, they're saying things like, uh, if, if, if you're bound up, Jesus will set you free, you know? He, he himself said, you know, if you come to me and put your trust in me and abide in me, I'll set you free. And those who the Son of Man sets free shall be free indeed. And then someone starts screeching. And all of a sudden, you know, they pass out. And all of a sudden, they're like back up and different and crying. And they're a whole different, like, demeanor. And people are recognizing the freedom that came through the proclamation of the gospel. You know, we, we were doing church one time, and uh, this is back when we were down at the Happy Church, like early on. And uh, we had this really, uh, really, really rough guy that was, his mom brought him, and he was in his early 20s, and he was a lot of tattoos. He was in one of the, the local gangs and kind of grew up in the gangs, and he was, he was the real deal. He was a real bona fide, you know, uh, I don't know if you would call them gangster. Well, for us, we're boomers, right? I think they call them gang bang bangers now, but you know, gangster. I'm with you, man. I'm a boomer. I think they even have a better name today. Anyway, so, but he came up, you know, he, you know, his mom got him up there and, and we were just doing some prayer groups after the service and he came up and, and uh, he was standing there and uh, so we had gathered around him and we're just waiting on the Lord and I got this prophetic word for him. And he was just standing there, and he was just staring at me. I mean, just we were just locked on, staring at each other. And I got this word. I said, you know, I want to give this to you. This way I sense the Father saying in heaven, your, your Father in heaven. I hear, I hear the Father saying, tell my son I love him. 
And we're locked eye to eye. I said, the Father wants me to tell you, He wants you to know He loves you. He's proud of you. Man, this guy's lips just like, he, he, just, he just clenched his jaws, his lips kind of, you know, you know, popped out, and he just squinted his eye, and he was fighting as hard as he could not to cry. And all of a sudden, he just burst into tears, and he starts weeping so hard, he just bends over, and he's just like coughing. And all of a sudden, he straightens up and throws his head back, his eyes roll back in his head, and he roared like a wild animal. I mean, just this, ah, it was just this unbelievable roar, you know? And he did this big back bend, and everyone jumped back. Some of the people got up and ran out of the church. They just started running. Other people started running up into the front. They wanted to see what was going on. And then he leaned forward again and was crying again. And then he stood up again, rolled his eyes back, and roared a second time until he passed out. He roared and exhaled until he just passed out, bounced on the floor. And then we just were praying and ministered to him. We, we recognized, our team recognized he was being delivered. He was encountering Christ. And Christ was freeing him. And that day, when he got up off that floor, he sat, first he sits up, he just sits up, kind of crosses his legs, and he was kind of like, you know, bobbing back and forth, just kind of crying, and he just kept saying, I'm changed, I'm changed. He says, oh my gosh, I feel so much love. He says, I just feel so much love. I've never felt this before. He says, someone go get my mom, get my mom. And then she comes up, she's crying, we're crying. He, it, was, it was amazing. He, he stayed there for like an hour. We just talked and talked and talked. But he was a changed man when he left that day. He's serving the Lord to this day. I followed up. He loves Jesus. He loves his family. He loves his kids. He's a changed person. He's been growing in the Lord ever since. Yeah, that's evangelism. You know, our job is just to look for opportunities to share who Jesus is. As we pray, God, you do the rest. You do the signs and wonders. Okay? And so, you know, it's not always signs and wonders. That doesn't mean that happens every time you share Christ. But you got to get ready because you never know what Jesus is doing. Always be suspicious of Jesus, okay? You got to, you know, just understand Jesus is always up to something good. So, you know, get ready because you never know what's going to happen, right? All right, so. In summary, the evangelist is gifted and passionate about sharing the Messiah with everyone, even people he has no relationship with. He or she knows how to find and get people into the kingdom. Think of Billy Graham. He was like the consummate evangelist. He was so good, he got elevated to where he was actually just reaching so many people. And it wasn't just here, it was abroad. He went all over the world. God used him in such a fantastic way. And that, that's a great consummate example of who uh, an evangelist is. But I want to encourage you, some of you, some of you got some of that gift mix in you. And you just love working with the lost. And you have a knack of just like communicating with strangers. You're like, you know, typically the evangelist is a high extrovert, you know. There are no strangers in his world, okay. So, uh, and some of you have that. And I just encourage you in that. That's a beautiful gift. All right. So I want you to, uh, to always keep an awareness of divine appointments, divine appointments. What's a divine appointment? Divine appointments are encounters with people 
who are ready to encounter the love of God. That man that came that day, that was a divine appointment. God was going to do something that day. We didn't know that. We didn't know what was going to happen when, we, when, we, when he came up to be prayed for. He was prepped and ready. God was going to do something. We just stumbled into what God was doing. If we put our antennas up throughout the day, and we're saying, God, what are you doing around me and my little world, right? And look for opportunities to engage people. You never know where that's going to lead. But get ready, because some people every day are ready for an encounter with God through you. If you don't recognize it, you'll skip it and miss it. So get ready all the time. I, I remember, you know, uh, the story that Vaughn uh, uh, has, and uh, he was wearing seats and someone else saw the seats and next thing you know, he's talking with this guy, and boom, all of a sudden, this family comes to the harvest. They've been with us ever since. How'd that happen? Because Vaughn was looking for, you know, this connection of people around him and using a toolbox to make sure that, you know, there's going to be some connection. When you wear your Zeed seats, people ask you questions about them all the time. I remember the story of one of our first pastors on staff, you know, he said he was at work at, in a business office with a lot of employees and he was wearing his, his tassels and he was up at the copy machine. And one of the gals came up behind him, grabbed his Zeed seats. She says, giddy up giddy up. And she was like laughing and he turned around and kind of looked at her and then she realized, oh, that's not funny. And she kind of like let go and she, she realized, you know, this is kind of a serious deal. She goes, well, what are those anyway? And he says, uh, well, these represent the king of heaven and his claim on my life. They're to remind me that I'm supposed to live a holy life. I wear them to remind me to live holy unto him. She goes, I am so sorry but they ended up having this beautiful discussion and it was a game changer. I thought, man, that is exciting. So yeah, look for opportunities to engage people. Don't scare them though. Okay. <laughs> so let's look at a divine appointment. There's many examples of this in the word of God. I want to give you one. And this of course continues to relate to Philip the evangelist. Chapter eight, verses 25 through 40. And so when they, the apostles, had solemnly testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they started back to Jerusalem and were preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. Verse 26. But an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Get up and go south to the road that descends from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert road. So an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip. How did Philip even hear an angel? Isn't that unusual? I mean, how many people do you know who converse with angels? How does that even happen? You know how that happens? By spending time with the Lord, being immersed in the Lord's presence, by praying and devoting yourself to his word. And you press in long enough and hard enough, you'll begin to interact with heaven. The leading of the Holy Spirit was supposed to be led by the Holy Spirit. Well, in order to be led by the Holy Spirit, we have to spend time with God and cultivate a deep relationship so that we can recognize the leading of the Holy Spirit. Here's Philip. An angel's trying to like direct him, and Philip is connecting. 
So it says in verse 27, he got up and went, and there was an Ethiopian eunuch. This is a divine appointment. There was an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all of her treasure, and he had come to Jerusalem to worship. And he was returning, sitting in his chariot, and was reading the prophet Isaiah. Then the spirit said to Philip, go up and join the chariot. Here's this Ethiopian, very wealthy guy, very powerful guy, representing the queen in Ethiopia. And he's come down. Why? Because he believes in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He, he made time to go down to Jerusalem, and he's worshiping there. He's wanting to connect with God. He's a seeker, right? God's saying, you're seeking me? Well, guess what? You're going to find me today. And so he then coordinates this encounter with Philip. And through Philip, this Ethiopian is going to encounter the living God, a divine appointment. So Philip ran up, verse 30 and 31, and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and said, do you understand what you were reading? Our job is to ask savvy questions. You want to lead the discussion. Remember Jesus at the well with the woman? That's a divine appointment. Yeah, she doesn't even know what's going on. You know? He says, would you draw me some water? She goes, do you even know who you're asking? If you knew who you were asking, you wouldn't even ask because you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan. He says, well, really, if you knew who I was, you'd ask me for living water. He changed the discussion. Man, that was such a savvy move. And that whole thing turns around. She ends up getting saved. And then she goes and tells all of her friends. In fact, that whole city had a revival, a come to Jesus meeting because of that one encounter at the well. This is another one. The Ethiopian sitting up there reading, reading the Torah. And Philip asks a very savvy question. Do you understand what you're reading? That's going to be a game changer. Now the passage, it says, and he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Do you understand what you are reading? And he said, well, how could I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of the scripture, he, which he was reading was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he does not open his mouth. In humiliation, his judgment was taken away. Who will relate to his generation? For his life is removed from the earth. The eunuch answered Philip and said, Please tell me, of whom does the prophet say this? Of himself or someone else? Then Philip, the evangelist, opened his mouth. This is slide 70, by the way. Thank you. Then Philip opened his mouth. Philip the evangelist opened his mouth. And beginning from this scripture, he preached Jesus to him. Because that's what evangelists do. They're going to tie everything into Jesus. Because their job is to get people to the place where they receive Jesus as their Lord and their Savior. Acts 8.36, they went along the road and came to some water. And the eunuch said, look, look, water. What prevents me from being baptized? 
oh, happy day. This is like, the, this, for the evangelist, it's like being a tornado in a trailer park. Oh, happy day, you know? It's like, no way. This is like going from good to great. So what happens, right? He, he's going he's gonna to take care of some business right away. Keep in mind, let, let me give you a passage, Mark 16, 15 through 16. Jesus says, go into all the world, preach the gospel to all creation. He who has believed and has been baptized shall be saved, but he who has disbelieved shall be condemned. The evangelist, he wants to get people to encounter Christ and then to move them right into baptism and then from baptism right into a local church where they can be raised up. They're the baby makers. They like making babies. And after they got a baby, they're going to pass out and say, here, here, church, change the diapers, give some milk, raise them up. I don't do diapers. I don't do milk. I'm going out to make another baby. That's what the evangelists do. So he then follows up and it says in verse 37, and Philip said, if you believe with all of your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. So Philip ordered the chariot to stop. They both went down into the water, Philip as well as the eunuch, and he baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away, and the eunuch no longer saw him, but went on his way rejoicing. Why did God snatch him up? Because he was finished. He did his job. He's the evangelist. He ain't changing no diapers. He's off to his next mission. That's what evangelists do. So, verse 40 says, But Philip found himself at Azotus, and as he passed through, he kept preaching the gospel to all the cities until he came to Caesarea. So let's put a bow on this. Evangelists evangelize. Their, pa their passion is for winning the lost to the Messiah. Their mission is twofold, twofold. Number one, bringing people to faith in Messiah, baptism, and finding them a church home. They're not driven to nurture nor raise up believers. They are not interested in planting new churches. They are not interested in teaching believers Torah. They are not interested in teaching any of an array of classes on anything except how to bring people to faith in Messiah. That's what they do. Number two, equipping church members for evangelism. That's the second part of their mission. They not only go and bring people to Christ, they also teach everyone in the church how to be an effective witness they give the, the the believer all of us the nuts and bolts of how to bring a person to christ and after equipping them and showing them then the community actually goes out and does the work of evangelism not as good as the evangelist but by sheer numbers they bring in a lot more than what that one evangelist could ever hope to bring in. Does that make sense? So they're the equippers along with the other 
uh, for offices. So let me see a show of hands here. How many here want to learn how to share more effectively their faith in Messiah? You want to share your faith more effectively? Let me ask you this. Do you, let me see a show of hands. Do you know how to actually lead a person into a salvation experience in Jesus? Do you know how to do that? Okay. So there's, there's maybe, maybe about 5% of our community that knows how to do that. It, 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 it's really, it's, it's pretty easy. We just need to know how to do that. We're going to give our community the toolbox to know how to do that. It's actually fairly simple. It's just a matter of learning how to do that. So we want to help equip you to do that as a community because that's really who we are. That's what we do. We're to be a light to the nations. We're to share Jesus, then the Torah as a way of life. So we're going to work on that over the next couple of weeks. In fact, that's going to be part of our summer outreach uh, uh, program. So in conclusion, we are all called. Well, let me ask you this one too. How many people actually feel like man, I think I'm called to the office of evangelist as a vocation. We're all called to be a witness. Some might be called to be like an evangelist. And if I could do that full time, I would love that. That's who I am. Anybody here kind of feel like that? Okay, we have a couple. This is great. This is good. All right, good. All right, well, stay posted because we're putting together some training programs to do uh, what we need to do to help raise you up into your calling. We're all called to share the gospel and to make disciples. In fact, that's what Jesus commissioned us. Matthew chapter 8, verses 16 through 20. It says, but the 11 disciples proceeded to Galilee. This is a post-resurrection encounter with Jesus. The 11 disciples proceeded to Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had designated. When they saw him, they worshiped him. But some were doubtful. And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me on heaven and on earth. Verse 19 through 20. Go, therefore, and make disciples. Go, therefore, and make disciples. Every local church is responsible to join the task of making disciples. Make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Three things we're commissioned to do. We're commissioned to make disciples. Win people, bring them into a salvation experience with Jesus. Get them baptized, plug them into the local church where they can then learn the Torah as a way of life and then set them free to go out and do what you just done with them. That's what local churches do. Share Jesus, baptize them, bring them into the local community, teach them Torah as a way of life. That's what we do. That's what we're going to do better than we've ever done it before. We're going to set that into motion. That's part of our new emphasis as we come into this uh, new phase that's before us. All right. So where do we find people, right? 
Where do we find the people to do this? Where do we find the lost? Well, there's lots of different ways to go and do this work of the kingdom. How many people here came to faith in Jesus through a stranger? How many people came to faith and it was a result of a stranger that you had no relationship with, no acquaintance with, you'd never met him before, but they led you to Christ? Three, four, five, five people, six, seven people came, came to Jesus through a perfect stranger you never met before. They just came up, shared Jesus, and it was, you were ripe for the picking. How many people here came to faith through an acquaintance, someone you knew that had shared with you the Lord? Let me see your hands. Yeah. The vast majority of you came to faith through an acquaintance. Let me give you the stats on that. Guess what the stats are in terms of uh, coming to faith through a stranger or through a friend? Ready? The percentage of people that come to faith through an acquaintance is 95%. Wow. 95% of all believers came through a friend, an acquaintance. The other 5% came through a stranger. They didn't even know what hit them. Now, both are strategies of winning the lost. The evangelist is really super good with anybody and everybody, even in the men's restroom. It don't, he, yeah, that's what they do, right? But most of us are not evangelists. So when we go out and try, try to do that, it just doesn't work. We're nervous. They're nervous. It's a bad experience. But all of us have 8 to 15 close friends. 8 to 15 close friends. That's our circle of influence. Those are the people that we have a natural open door with to love on, pray for, and lead to Christ. Think about that. We have 80 adults here. Coronavirus almost took out this congregation. It, was, it, it devastated us. We're at 80 adults. What's 80 times 15? That's 1,200 people. 1,200 people. And each of those people that we might win in our circle of friends, they have 8 to 15. And each one of them have 8 to 15. What that means is once we start this process and start leading people to Christ and, and, and to getting baptized and then getting plugged into the church, oh, it's endless. The growth is endless. We just need to learn how to be Christ to those in our family groups, in our work relationships, in our school relationships. And when we learn to look for those divine appointments and how to effectively share Christ, People are going to come to faith. The kingdom is going to grow, and so is the local church. So that's what we're focusing on. That's going to be our next venture as we step into our summer outreach and inreach. We're not going to forget inreach. Right? We're going to have babies, and we're going to care for them. And some like caring for them, and some like making them. So we're going to let the ones that make them make them, the ones that care for them, care for them. Because when you try to get the people that care for them to make them, it's a mess. Or if you try to get those that like to make them to care for them, it's a mess. So we're going to try to help everyone kind of find their place through small groups. You know, you know I'll tell you what, I'll tell you what, man, well, I can't tell you, but we'll, we'll unpack that later. 
but it's going to be a blast and we're going to enjoy it. So in the next couple of weeks, I'm going to be presenting a vision and a strategy for reaching our acquaintances for Messiah. We're going to provide some training and equipping for the task. It's going to be pleasant and natural. And as we add evangelism to our emphasis on the beauty and the wonder of the Torah as a way of life, God will give us increase and we'll be strong again and vibrant again and hopefully be able to plant some congregations as well. That's part of what we're called to do. So we've done well with embracing the Torah as a way of life for believers, but we are yet to do well with bringing people to Messiah in our local church. That's what we're going to shore up. So we're going to embark on this next phase in our church's transformation. Are you ready? Are you ready? Yeah, praise God. So I'm going to pray for you, and then uh, we're going to have our closing benediction. Father, I just, just stand with me. Father, I just bless you. I bless everyone that's here. I bless the gifting that's in everyone. I just know, Father, that we have all that we need as a local community to get the job done. So we bless each of our people and who you've called them to be and what you've called them to do. And I pray you stir up the gifts in each and every one of them. May this be the beginning of some exciting breakthroughs for our community, for our families, for our friends. May we never be the same as a result of what you're going to do in this summer that's before us. So use us, Lord. Stir us up, Lord. And let's, let's, let us join you in bringing a multitude into the kingdom of your beloved Son for his glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.